Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Philippians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I just want to uh, uh, say thank you for Dr. Koistra's uh, time with us over the past few weeks. He did say last week in the worship service that I had the freedom to not use the title that he has chosen for us, and I appreciate that because I'm using a different title this morning. So I wanted to thank him. We have the letter to the Philippians. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20. This is God's word to us this morning. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry... Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but but that with full courage... Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do come now to your word. Uh, Father, we come trusting that your word is truth. It is sufficient for our lives. Father, it is a lamp unto our feet. It gives us wisdom and understanding on how to live this life that you've called us to as your people. We also come to the table today where we see Christ displayed. And so, Father, we pray that you would come now and lead us and guide us into all your truth. Help us to understand what you have to say to us this morning. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So as we begin our time this morning, I want you to consider a question. What are you facing this week? What is it about this week, or maybe it's this month, or something in your future that you know is coming, and that you think it's probably going to be a significant challenge? I want you to think about that. Maybe it's a relationship that you have in your family or someone else. Uh, Maybe it's something that you have going on at work. It's a project that you've undertaken. Maybe it's a test in school, if you're in school. Or maybe it's a doctor appointment that you have that's coming. And if none of those circumstances resonate with you, I would just say maybe it's, I don't know, a church transition. Maybe it's making you anxious or a little overwhelmed. You know it's coming, but you're just a little uncertain about how it's going to work out. Perhaps you don't know what's coming in your future, and that in and of itself has you struggling. 
If you've been tracking with us so far in Philippians, you know from last week that you have every reason to believe that God is going to work out His good plan in your life. You have every reason to believe that you can be confident in God's work. You can agree with the psalmist from the call to worship, the war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Because he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. We can be confident this morning. So up to this point in this letter, the Philippians have been greeted by Paul. He's encouraged them and he's prayed for them. But now beginning in verse 12, we're going to see a little bit of a transition. We're going to see a little bit of the context behind this letter. We're going to see Paul's own personal circumstances. And then we're going to see God's greater purposes. And just to be clear, this is anti-human, it's irrational, it's unexplainable apart from Christ kind of thinking. Unless we see Jesus, Paul's thinking here makes no sense. And so my desire this morning as we look at this passage is to declare together because the love love of Christ is better than life. Our lips will praise Him. So let's look first now at verse 12. Christ is better than our circumstances. In several of Paul's letters, we see this phrase, I want you to know, brothers, or we see something like it, some form of this phrase. He says in other letters, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, or you yourselves know, brothers. Usually after the greeting... He gives thanks in his letters, and then there's some type of prayer, and then Paul uses this phrase to open up the circumstances of the letter. In Philippians, it's specifically his personal circumstances. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what has happened? The gospel of Jesus is going forth... Because he is in prison. Verses 13 through 14. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul has landed himself in prison because of preaching. His testimony is that Jesus Christ is Lord, not the Roman pagan gods that they would have worshipped, but his proclamation of Christ has landed him in prison. Now, it's probably not the kind of prison that you and I are thinking of in a cell behind bars, but it's more like he's chained to a soldier that's with him at all times. I believe the traditional view, he's in Rome here writing this letter, and the soldiers that he is chained to, probably they're taking different shifts around the clock where someone's always chained to him, and there's some type of military guards for the emperor. And one more thing, Paul is probably facing his execution over the next few years. He's waiting for his trial before the emperor. I think we can at least agree that Paul's circumstances are quite bleak. But here's the part that really just doesn't make sense. Twice in our passage, 
Paul says that he rejoices in his personal circumstances. He rejoices in what has happened to him. He rejoices that he's in prison. It just doesn't make sense. I've had the opportunity in my own personal ministry over the years to go to visit different people in prison. And it's a privilege to visit someone in the prison. Uh, But I want you to know that there's nothing joyful about those encounters at all. When you go to the Hall County prison, you walk down this long, it's as if it's a mile-long hallway. There's no windows, no mirrors, there's just blank walls, no sunlight. It's quite troubling walking down to the place where you get to meet those who are in prison. It's often sad, and people are suffering there. Whatever the case is that they're there, they're probably suffering in prison. The last time I went, not too long ago, I actually got lost in there, and that was quite a scary feeling. (laughs) The circumstances behind a prison sentence are not reasons to rejoice. But Paul does. The reason Paul rejoices is because he knows that his suffering here on earth is the cause for the advancement of the gospel. He suffers... And the gospel goes forth. He suffers and other believers see him suffering and it causes them to want to share the gospel even more. It gives them fearlessness and boldness. So what about our personal circumstances? Can we say that? Can you say that? Can you see the flower growing through the crack in the cement of your life? Can you chase the rainbow through the rain? Can you rejoice in the midst of your suffering because you know that God has a greater purpose for you and for those around you? Friends, I know it's hard. But God gives us His grace to do just that. And as we rejoice in our sufferings, Christ shines brightly through us and His gospel is displayed before our watching world. Second, let's look at verses 15 through 18. Christ is better than our competition, our so-called competition. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. And so Christ is being proclaimed. The gospel is advancing. People are coming to know God the Father, Jesus' Son, as Lord of their lives, and they're turning away from false gods. They're turning away from false idols. And as this is happening, there's some type of mixed motivation going on in the church at Philippi. Whatever the motivation is, we need to understand that this is not a false gospel that they are preaching. If you want to look at a false gospel and how Paul would have dealt with that, you look at the letter that he wrote to the Galatians. But in the Philippians, this is the true gospel that's being preached, but it's shared with some type of tainted motivation. In some way, there were others, while 
Paul was under house arrest who were preaching Christ with the desire to call, cause Paul more harm. It would be as if they were trying to add insult to his injury, if you will. And to be sure, there are others there that are preaching Christ out of love for God and love for the lost world. But Paul here is sharing this with us so that we can see that there is division that takes place in the church. And it's very real. He's going to bring that into this letter uh, in the future where he's going to talk about disunity or division in the church. We'll see that later. But division in the church can be very deadly. God's purposes, however, will always prevail over our selfishness. I love that God can use crooked pencils to draw straight lines. Jealousy, rivalry, competition. How does Paul respond to these things? Well, as long as the true gospel is proclaimed, it doesn't matter who proclaims it. A few weeks ago, Barry Ogle and I went to Uganda with Equipping Leaders International. Uh, I'd never been to Uganda. Barry's been several times meeting with this same group of people. And uh, we'd love to share that with you all on October the 1st in the evening service. So come as Barry and I share about our time in Uganda so that you can hear all that God is doing. But as we were there in Uganda, it struck me. It struck me because I've never seen so many Islamic mosques in one country. It seemed as if everywhere we turned, there was a mosque. And then right next to it almost, there was a school that had another mosque with it. There were mosques everywhere in Uganda. The Christians in Uganda understand, as best as I could observe, the Christians that we were with, that if they fight among themselves about the non-essentials of the gospel, then the unified, strong voice of Islam is going to take over the country. And so what do Christians do there? They work together. Denominations working together to proclaim the true gospel. They understand in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in everything, charity. I want to be very careful here, but in my experience in the American church, we have a good bit of fighting among Christians, bickering, arguing. It's almost like some Christians thrive on fighting with other Christians on who has the best or the most or the biggest or the truest or the godliest. What does that look like, you might ask? Well... Just think about the way we here at CMPC critique other denominations or other churches. And I think that'll give us a little bit of a glimpse into what I'm talking about. But please don't get me wrong here. I do believe there is a time for us to cross our T's and to dot our I's theologically to be sure. But it's not at the expense of an unbelieving world that just sits back and watches us fight with one another. Jesus himself said, by, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And Paul says here, the important thing is that in every way where there are false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Christ is better than our so-called competition, especially when our competition is on the same team as we are.
Third, verses 19 and 20. Christ gives us courage. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I want us to go back to the question we opened up with. And I want to consider it from Paul's perspective here. What is coming in Paul's future? As I said earlier, it's likely that he's about to be put to death over the next few years. But his clear request is not to escape his suffering. He's not requesting that his name would be made known. And he's not asking for more pleasure or for more comfort. But his request is for more courage to preach Christ, to proclaim Christ. Paul's desire is to have the courage to live for Christ day by day. And if it comes to it, to die for Christ as well. Christo Kulichev was the pastor of First Evangelical Church of Sophia. And in January 1985, he was arrested by the atheistic communist government of Bulgaria. He was arrested for preaching the gospel of Christ. And he found himself in prison, several different prisons, over the next three and a half years. And at one point, he was being, in, he was being interrogated by an officer, Shevdar Pinkov. And the officer, Pinkov, was demanding that Kulichev, the pastor, submit to the government to give up his pulpit and to allow them to replace him with their government-assigned pastor. Or else he would just remain in prison. Kulichev wouldn't submit. At one point when he was being interrogated, Pinkov said to him, So you don't mind being in prison? Kulichev responded this way. He said, That's not the point. I prefer to be in prison with Jesus than to be free without him. And then he followed it up with, The prison becomes a palace when I'm there with Christ. Where did Kulichev get that kind of courage? How did Paul have that kind of courage? Better yet, how can you and I have that kind of courage? The only way we can have that kind of courage is by grace through deep, deep communion with Jesus himself. And so that's why today we come to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. The communist officials predicted that Christ's church in Bulgaria would be extinct by the year 2000. I don't need to remind you, we just sent a team there over the summer to work with the Bulgarian local church. God's greater purposes always prevail. When Pastor Christo Kulichev stood back in his pulpit to preach God's word after a three and a half year imprisonment, this is what he said to remind his people. He said, ours is not a story of human interest. And it's not a story of reversal of our personal circumstances. Rather, it is a story of God's grace as seen in the cross and the resurrection. It is the Lord Jesus Christ crucified and risen again that we follow faithfully. Our eyes are upon him and the glory he's preparing for us, not upon the trials that we are passing through. That's why we must walk by faith and not by sight. 
And so I want to invite you today, by faith, to come to the table of the Lord Jesus. This table is a means of grace for God's people. It's a means of grace for Christians. Those who are trusting Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And so as you come today, child of God, you come recognizing the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. I encourage you to come needy, looking for courage and strength to live the Christian life. Come with the desire to turn away from sin and repentance and to turn to Jesus himself and hope. Come with a desire to live a life worthy of the Lord, worthy of the gospel. And I need to let you know that the Bible encourages us as God's children to consider our relationship with him. Consider the sins in your life and ask him for forgiveness of those sins. Come looking to him. But also, the Bible encourages us to examine our relationships with one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. If there's something that you have with someone else, make sure you get that right before you come to the table of the Lord. So as we come today, come with these desires. If you do not come with these desires, the Bible very much warns us that we need not come. But instead, wait and pray and think. Consider. And if you're not a Christian this morning, the Bible warns you not to come either. But instead, I encourage you to watch, see what we do here as God's people. Maybe turn to Isaiah 53 and consider the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you and for your sins. And as well, if you're a child, you've not met with the session, you should wait. But I encourage you with your parents to come and see one of the pastoral staff. So we can help you come to this meal by faith. But those who do come, may you come boldly to the table of the Lord by faith. Where you will receive grace upon grace and courage and strength. Let's pray together. We want to take this time and to pray silently confess our individual sins, look to the Lord for forgiveness of our sins, and then I will lead us in prayer corporately. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do come now to you and to your table. Father, we come confessing to you that there are things in our lives that we want to turn away from. Father, we pray that you would cause us to turn away from the things that turn us away from you. Father, there are many things in our lives that we've done that are not pleasing to you. There are things that we've not done that you've asked us to. And so, Father, we come now and we ask for your forgiveness. And, Father, we know that when we confess our sins that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we say thank you. That's all we can say is thank you. We bring nothing to add to that. And we know we can't take anything away from that. But it's trusting in the blood of Christ, the body of Christ even now. So prepare us as we come to your table, we pray.
And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.